Welcome to Ship We Do For Love, the podcast where we delve deep into the gap between our human need for love and connection and our secret belief that we're not really good enough to be loved and all the weird that ensues. I'm your host, Wendy Windle. This podcast is sponsored by my guide to getting you back time for you. Head to wendywindle.com, there's a link in the show notes, and get your free copy of five ways to create boundaries that give you back time for you. Because never having enough time for ourselves is just more shit we do for love. Is your money a reflection of how you feel about yourself? I'm not saying that if you've got low self-esteem, you're bound to be broke or that every kajillionaire has their self-love game completely sorted, but how we relate to, engage with, and feel about, and even treat the money that we have in our lives can be a telltale sign of how we feel about ourselves. It's a subtle game, and to help us play it, I've invited a money coach to talk to us. Tara Winters is an award-winning life coach, soul guide, tarot reader, speaker, writer, and mother of three children. When does she have time? Tara believes that money is an energy that goes beyond numbers in the bank or physical notes and coins. What I love about Tara, though, is that even though she's like a spiritual earth mama, she's also a career accountant. This woman knows money. Buckle in for a wide-ranging conversation as we explore the shit we do for love. Are you staying poor to be likable? And be warned, this episode, as usual, contains grown-up language my mother isn't proud of and may cause offence. Tara Winters, welcome to Shit We Do For Love. I am so delighted to have you here because you're an incredible coach, incredible human being, but also has to be said, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects. I love money. I love talking about money. <sighs> I love making money. I help love helping other people make money and spend it. There's just so much great stuff you can do with money. But the main reason as a coach that I love money is what an incredible indicator of how somebody feels about themselves, right? Talk yeah, to me about that, absolutely. Tara, because I know that's the work that you do in the world. Talk to me about how people feel about themselves and how that shows up in their money. Well, I love this topic just as much as you. <laughs> and I'm so excited to speak with you today. Um, it's funny, even when you say, I love money, I'm sure that can be quite triggering for a lot of people. Just mm -hmm based on our programming and our beliefs around money. Um, but, yeah, I equally love it. And I think it a lot of it, to me, money is an energy. And, you know, we've been taught to think of it as numbers in our bank or, you know, the physical notes and coins. Mm. But to me, it's an energy. And so like love, right, you can't see love. You can You can feel it. And, you know, you can't see abundance, but you can feel it. And so I think there's a lot, so much of a correlation between how much you love yourself and your relationship with money. And I don't necessarily think it's highly correlated to the amount you have in your bank. Mm -hmm. um, it's more, uh, I, although absolutely there is a relationship, but I think a lot of it is to do with just how 
uh, you feel about it, how wealthy you feel on the inside, how uh, rich you feel, how abundant you feel. And it's almost like this um, self-propagating circle that the, the richer you feel, the more abundant you feel, the more your bank starts to reflect that. And so um, I think we actually quite often wait for the big bank balance to feel good and actually it works the other way around, which is totally counterintuitive and the opposite to what we've all been taught. And it's, you know, really about richness as an inside job first and then it radiates out into your dollars in your bank. Oh, that's so you're talking my language, lady. That's so my experience of money is that it is a money mindset or a mindset of abundance and gratitude and feeling wealthy is something that actually, weirdly enough, no amount of money can buy. Like I, you know, I've been, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been everything in between, you know, and I've known lots of rich and poor people in my life as well. And I have to say, I've known some people who earn enough money that you, we we could easily say they basically win the lottery every year. Just, you know, they just happen to be um, blessed with the kind of mind that they train themselves in a skill set that is very, very well paid on the planet in these times. And they win the lottery every year, but feel poor. <laughs> you know, and I've yeah. also known people yeah. who seem to have absolutely nothing, you know, living very humbly, very paycheck to pay- paycheck and feel so abundant and so rich. Yes. And that I've had the exact same experience, Wendy. Like I, I, um, I used to work in the head office of an international investment bank in London, where people were making squillions of pounds. You know, like it was crazy money. And I think that's actually where my epiphany happened. That it's like, oh, I looked around and I actually didn't see anyone that was happy. Mm-hmm. And. So I was like, oh, this is the trajectory I'm on. I I used to be an accountant and I looked around and realised that if I continued this trajectory that I thought was going to buy me happiness, that that wasn't a given really. And Mm. so I moved, um, I I still worked in that world, but I started exploring things on the side and I started diving back into my Indian heritage and exploring spirituality and yoga and met so many beautiful soul-led, you know, light workers and humans in that world and noticed that it was almost the opposite. There was like a fear around money or like a, people were turning their backs on money. And I could see that that didn't serve them well either, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, having this disdain for money actually uh, meant that you couldn't elevate your life in many ways. And so I... Uh, that was when I really started to explore this middle path where we weren't worshipping money, where we weren't disdaining it, but we were coming into reverence for it and uh, really cultivating that inner wealth that we were speaking of uh, in order to get the outer wealth. And I love that you call it the inner way or the, the middle way as well, because, you know, that basically is my spiritual practice. After years of trying lots of different things, it's all settled down into this it's the middle way for me, you know, like the extremes are where I find that I personally get into trouble, get into sticky mindsets, get into really stuck beliefs around things. But this gentle road of the middle way of this and also that are true, you know, so money 
is an energetic, but it also is a physical, actual, tangible thing. You know, money doesn't necessarily buy you happiness, but having money can make things very much easier. But also just because you're spiritual doesn't mean that you need to turn your back on money. You know, for a long time, I, I was a meditation teacher. That was my main income in life. And the amount of people that I would would ask me to give up my time, give up my weekend, give up my 10 years plus of expertise and all the time I had spent training to be a meditation master, but they wanted me to give that away for free because it was something that they considered spiritual and therefore I shouldn't charge for. And that always fascinated me. I was like, wow, you would never go to your hairdresser. Yeah, I know you went to hairdressing school and you paid loads of money for that and you've invested in yourself and you've spent years cutting hair so you really understand different hair textures and styles. And that's amazing. But because you love doing it, why not just do it for free? It's like, um, <laughs> there's really interesting ideas around spirituality and money, don't we? Oh, absolutely. I think it's, you know, there are several different, uh, what I, I don't know if money blocks is my favourite term for it, but there are several different uh, underlying beliefs that oh, we yes. have. Please get into you know, those. In I actually wanted to ask you that. What are the top money blocks or money mistakes people are making, Tara? What are, what are you finding? Well, well, let's talk about the spirituality element first, because um, I think we both we both really have been in in that at some point. And culturally, I think as a society, we are definitely in that. And it's this belief that you can't be spiritual and wealthy. Mm-hmm. You, you can't hold these two things at the same time. That you've got to align with one mm-hmm. and forsake the other. And so that's when we get into the. I will become a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, and um, the money doesn't matter so much. Or I will become an investment banker and, you know, that soulfulness soulfulness stuff doesn't really matter. Mm. And, like, that's so harmful to us. We're multifaceted humans, right? Like, as you say, that middle path that um, where we don't go into either extreme is where all the goodness is. And so, you know, it's not that we... um, like most people wouldn't be able to to articulate that that is their value, that, I, you know, spirituality and wealth don't go together. But I think after centuries of having that idea fed to us um, by, you know, religious institutions and, you know, other, other parts of, you know, our life, that we have this yeah, deep-seated belief that we can't be both. And I think, you know, a lot of my work is with spiritual and creative folk who and, and a lot of creativity is entwined with spirituality because you know you've got to dance with your spirit in many ways to to come up with your creative flow and so again aligning with that and saying that you know the money doesn't matter can, can get you stuck in that extreme um, oh, I, I, so I've that's... been there too. Like, you know, I've lived many lives in this one. You know, I came I came here to squeeze as much as I could into this one life. And I've certainly been there too, where, you know, for a while in my life, I went to drama school, I was an actress, and there was so much artistic glory in, in struggling, you know, in being the starving artist and working in the dingiest little rehearsal studios, you know, in like barely being able to pay the rent. How glamorous. You know, like suffering for your art. <laughs> and at some point I had to just wake up to myself and go like, I, 
I don't know why I'm behaving like nobody ever gave me any opportunities in life. Like there's no reason for me to let myself be poor to make art, you know? And yet that felt like a hand-me-down belief that if I was going to be serious about my art, I needed to turn my back on my money. In other words, there's no way I could do anything commercial that would be, quote, selling out. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> so if somebody wants to pay me for my work, pay me for my training, that's selling out. But working away in the dark, <laughs> you know, eating pot noodles for dinner, that's worthy work. These, they're such extreme beliefs, aren't they? They really are. They and I love that you really have lived many lives. <laughs> like there's so many beautiful <laughs> examples to draw on, right? It it really is that that idea of the struggling artist, um, the idea of the person who is of self-sacrificing service, mm. you know, and I think many of these ideas are steeped in patriarchy, if I'm completely honest. Um, Ooh, talk to me more that, about that. What do you mean by ste- steeped in patriarchy? Well, being of service is um, it's something that the patriarchy it's kind of an intersection between patriarchy and capitalism right like it's mm. yeah it's hard to it's hard to split the two up isn't it yeah it really is it really is but if you think about the traditional uh roles i guess that women uh either gravitated to or were allowed to do you know teaching nursing um caring caring for children caring for elderly parents like that community role um, all really vital, important roles, you know, and we see it in our current economic climate, like our, you know, beautiful healthcare workers and teachers, like they're, you know, they're the ones that are getting paid the least mm. and it's because they're not male-dominated uh, industries really, mm. whereas, you know, when you get the, the real big spinning, uh, big income-earning industries, they're quite often dominated by men and you know I'm by no means a man hater I've got many beautiful beautiful men in my life mm. um but I just think there's an overall uh it's this almost pervasive fog around you know if you are of service in your work um then you shouldn't be making money off it Mm. which is interesting because I would view um, a surgeon as being of service and they get paid very well. Mm. Um, you know, everyone really in any role can be of service. Your banker can be of service. Uh, you know, th- there are so many ways to be of service, but the ones that have traditionally um, attracted women into, the role, into their roles are, are the ones that have been paid the least. Mm. And we're talking of school teachers, the nurses. Yeah, typically, generally, historically, women have been attracted or put into these roles. Yeah. And then it just creates this idea that um, you can't love what you do. You can't bring your heart to it. You can't um, be of service and also earn money. Yeah. That's a huge money block, isn't it? Like coming back to these, that you cannot be of service and earn money. And if you do, there must be something wrong with you. Like I know what I said at the start of this episode, that I love money is quite a polemic thing to say. And I know, and I'm I'm kind of deliberately listener, deliberately triggering you, because if if that 
made you want to switch off or start to have ideas about, well, maybe I mustn't be in coaching because I want to serve people. I must be in coaching only for me and not for my clients because I love money. You know, we get all these ideas about it's not okay to be of service and to make money. It's like, because they don't seem to mix, I find, and I'm talking from past experience here, of me judging others that I was always very skeptical of people in service who also wanted to make money, you know, just yeah. from that, that training, those beliefs that are handed down. And it's taken me a lot of work, Tara, a lot of work on my own money mindset to get to a place to be able to say, I'm a great coach and I love coaching. And you know what? I, I would coach for free actually, but we live in a world where you no, know, like coaching for free, then I'd be living on the street, you know? So it's as simple yeah, as Yeah, and then the coaching would stop, right? And like then you need to have and sustainability. Service. Exactly, you know. So I provide a service and I get energetically paid for that and physically paid for that in actual cash. And I love that exchange. I love what it does for the clients. And I love then what that allows me to do in my life. Absolutely. And there's and there's a couple of things in there, right? First of all, um, I love that you mentioned that you were judging people who were looking like they were wanting to make money and be of service and thinking, hang on a sec, like, is that possible? Mm. Uh, because that's really common. I, like, I know I've done it. Uh, I, I think we're all taught to do that. And that's actually a really big energetic block to receiving more money in our own lives because how can we be inviting more money in and then, you know, holding up a big barrier to which is what judgment is against people who are making it or wanting it. And so it's almost like I, I, I have this exercise that when I, you know, walk around beautiful places and see houses that I would love to live in or, um, you know, I'm not really a car person, but if you're a car person and you see people driving cars that you would love to own, my old habit would have been to to kind of be judgmental and throw a bit of shade at them and, you know, uh, and I, I think actually it's a beautiful practice to be in love their way and say, oh, my gosh, suck. I'm so glad that you, you have that in your life, that, you know, if that's possible for you, what a beautiful example that it's possible for me, I would, you know, I would love to experience that in my life. It, it just opens up the energetic channels to more of it coming in and, I think you know, that judgment piece is really important to, to call out in um, being a practice that we can shift over time. Yeah, and because we don't realise that we're judging, right? Like I, I grew up in a household where um, there was great scepticism about rich people in general, that rich people must have got there by doing something shady, by being a bit dodgy, but definitely not by caring for people or only pretending to care for people, you know? So growing up in that house, and very loving, wonderful parents, by the way, who of course were just, they had their hand-me-down beliefs as well, you know, and that's the house that I grew up in. So it took me a while to notice these beliefs because certainly I, I noticed at first that I had a very love-hate relationship with earning money and receiving. In fact, just before you came in, I suddenly had this memory of being, I was at grad school. So none of us had any money. You know, we were all on graduate assistantship. So sort of, you know, we were, we were struggling at school, but doing the thing we loved the most. So we were all very, very happy to be at drama school. And my boyfriend at the time 
lived out of state and was even working. He was miles and miles and miles away on a job and a vacation weekend was coming up. I had just spent all of my money on a ticket to go and see him. And all of my classmates were heading out to this kind of shishi for us at the time, seafood buffet in a hotel. And they, of course, it was, we're all going, we're all going. And I had to just say, like, I, actually, I can't afford it. I've just spent, a, you know, my last money on this Greyhound ticket, you know, across th three states over, you know, and all I have left in my wallet is actually my spending money for the weekend. And then I'll be back and I'll see you guys afterwards. And my wonderful classmates all just grouped together without even discussing it amongst them that someone threw the idea and said, why don't we all just pitch in? And within seconds, they were just like, yeah, we'll just pitch in for you. You know, it's, it's only like 50 bucks a head or something. So we'll all just pitch in a little bit and then you can come along with us. Tara, it was like they had offered to put poo on my face. <laughs> that was my physical reaction to it. The thought of people chipping in for me, I was repulsed, indignant. I actually felt insulted that they wanted to do that for me i pushed it away so hard and so quick with how dare you offer this to me i'm not poor it's just that i've spent my money in this other way like i will not sit there at the table like some sort of charity cake. i mean i went into a spiral about this and left in a half and went home and my wonderful flatmate chris she came home and she said to me you know what you just did was stop us from loving you. We just, we love you and we wanted your company and we were willing to part with a few dollars each to have you there and you just shut that down. So we didn't get to love you. What a wise friend. What a wise friend and what a lesson in what happens when we shut down receiving. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is actually a really big topic uh, that I teach, that I am constantly in practice in myself, Wendy, because I um, absolutely relate to that. And, you know, practicing the art of receiving is something that we were conditioned out of yes. you know, as little girls that, you know, you, you tend to everybody else first, make sure everybody else is comfortable first, that your needs come last mm. and that you give, 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 give gosh, don't you receive, that's greedy, that's shameful, don't you, you know, it's a, there's a lot in that, isn't there? But when you say greedy, <laughs> something inside of me actually felt shame even before you said the word shame. Isn't that, that's deep conditioning, isn't it? And obviously, you know, I like to think that I'm a unique butterfly on the planet, Tara, but from what you're saying, and obviously if you're teaching classes in this, this is actually quite a common thing. Talk to me about that, your client's and how you help them practice the art of receiving. Hello, love. I hope this conversation has given you some serious aha moments already. If you would like to dig deeper into your own money mindset, check out the next episode of Shit We Do For Love called How To Expand Into Wealth, where I will share with you how to call in more abundance more easily. And if you want even more support in this area, why not come over to my membership and do your journey to self-love in first class? It's the Love Your Bloody Self Club, full of practical tips, classes, and monthly live sessions. Go to wendywindle.com forward slash love 
club. That's wendywindle.com forward slash love club. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now let's get back to Tara because she is about to give us the ultimate litmus test to see if we are as open to receive as we think we are. If you've been wondering why your bank account isn't reflecting your desire for abundance, this could be the missing piece of the puzzle. Keep listening. I'm trying to think of anyone who doesn't relate to this. I think almost everyone has difficulty in practicing the art of receiving. And so the practice really is to start with really small things. And and if you think you don't have a problem with the art of receiving, then these are some kind of litmus tests to, to help you with it. Oh, and that test is, us, Tara, test us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond when somebody says, oh, my gosh, Wendy, I love your dress. Do you oh. Go, oh, this whole thing, I, I got this on sale. I go, you know, I, I've had this for ages. Or, you know, it almost feels uncomfortable to just take a minute to receive that and say, thank you. How awkward can that feel, right? Just to accept so a compliment. Awkward. So, and this is actually something I've been, I, I've been practicing this for about 20 years and it's still awkward. You know, <laughs> I was doing a recording with somebody earlier and she hopped on, she just said, like, got a new haircut it looks great and I went into this long ass story about how my hairdresser was trying something different to get out of simply letting that land and saying thank you yeah right because to say thank you and receive the compliment what happens in my brain is well if you're receiving the compliment then you must think your hair looks nice oh my god big headed hello How awful are we to ourselves, right? How awful. I mean, clearly this is all conditioning that we've received either in the school playground or uh, from, you know, our parents or culturally, but we do not. And, and I think, you know, there's an element of the good girl and the people pleaser and the perfectionist and, and those kind of things. That, um, but, yeah, it is really uncomfortable to receive those compliments and absolutely a practice like building a muscle we have to kind of go through that discomfort of it being really, really hard to begin with. And it becomes more natural over time. But as you say, you've been practicing for 20 years and it's still not 100% natural because of the, how deep that conditioning goes. And, you know, it's the same thing if a friend, you know, and this is an example I often use, so it's funny that you brought up the example of, of your friends wanting to shout you dinner, is uh, a friend just saying, I'll get I'll get your coffee this time. Like, you know, um, let me shout your coffee. And it, um, I know for me, my immediate reaction is, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'll get it. It's my turn. Or, you know, it, we, it, it's really difficult to practice the art of receiving. But the thing is, the way we receive the small things is also the way we receive the big things. And, you know, my belief is that the universe is always wanting to send us abundance. It's always wanting to, like, you know, direct and flow things our way. But actually, because we have this receiver kind of switch off, we're shutting it out and we're not letting it in. And money can be so much more easeful than we make it if we just get out of our own way. And this is the part of the equation, isn't it? When we say money is an energy, this is what we mean. Because obviously money is, well, 
let's face it, if we really get deep into it, it's not actually real. It's all an algorithm existing in a metaverse somewhere. That's like, but that's a whole other topic. You know, <laughs> there are the physical you know, notes and coins in your wallet, and then the number it says in your bank account. But then there's also this energetic side of it, this energy of either being open or shutting down, right? And when we're, sh it, it, I love that you're bringing this into such simple, doable things. When we shut down a compliment, it's the same as shutting away money. When we shut down somebody offering you to buy, let me shout you coffee, it's the same as saying, I don't want that promotion or I don't deserve to be paid what I'm worth. Because what we're doing is saying no to that energy flowing towards us, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I would love to offer a little bit of a shift in the way we think about money uh, that will help if you, because I imagine, Wendy, that most of your beautiful listeners are kind-hearted humans, right, who um, who don't want to see other humans suffer mm. be just because you're uh, thriving. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this underlying idea that money is like, if you imagine a pie, you know, I, I, because of my ex-accountant, I often think in graphs, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Get technical with us, Tara. <laughs> if you imagine a pie, I think humans think of money as a pie and that we each have our little piece of the pie. And if my piece of the pie is bigger than it currently is, that means that there's less to go around for everybody else. And so when I have more, uh, that's being greedy because my fellow humans will get less when actually that's not the way money works at all. So if you think about money, money is flow. And if you, before we had electronic money, before we had bank accounts, if we just all had physical money and you lived in a small town, the same, you know, uh, $50 note, uh, the £20 note, uh, wherever you may live, it can circulate around a community endlessly, you know, between the the which are the baker, the candlestick maker, like it can go mm -hmm. through a florist, the, the supermarket owner's hands, the grocer, the hairdresser, the and it can just endlessly flow. And each pair of hands that it flows through, it brings them, you know, whatever, you know, comfort, meaning, fun, joy, whatever they choose to use that money on uh, in the way they spend it. But it just continually flows. And so there's not this limited pie idea that we've all got. It's actually this endless circulation that just keeps going and going and going. And so in times of recession uh, or depression, there's actually the same amount of money in the world. It just stops flowing because people get scared and they don't spend and they hoard it. But it actually doesn't, money doesn't disappear. It It's just in this endless flow. And so if you're a kind-hearted person that has been taught not to be greedy, but you believe that having more money makes you greedy, this idea can really help you because it's like, no, I, it's not that there's any less for other people to have. It's just I can flow more. I've got more resources to flow in the directions that, you know, have meaning for me or in alignment with my values and I can elevate small businesses. I can elevate, uh, you know, community groups. I can elevate causes that I believe in with more money. So let more money pass through my hands. Let me keep you know some or plenty of it as well but it, it's not that it stays with me and everybody else suffers 
It's mm. it's that we get to flow it. We get to flow it and pass it around. And like you say, support worthy causes and not, not necessarily just by giving to charity, but by, I'm a great believer that buying something to me is like a vote, you know? Like if you if you think that a vote in politics these days doesn't really do much, then put your vote in your wallet is what I say, you know, because when you give or take away your money from a business that you either support or don't agree with their ethics, that's to me what changes the planet. You know, if if we all stop shopping at certain massive corporations that don't have great employee ethics you know they will crumble overnight that's the power that we have in our wallets you know whether our wallets are big or small and i think that's another way to look at money as well that's really helped me um grow into having more of it is certainly a few years ago as a place where i felt very comfortable like i have enough you know but i kept having this desire to step away from my job. I was a drama teacher at the time, so many jobs in one life, Tara. A drama teacher and I wanted to step away, but not just let that job go. I actually wanted to then create a vacuum and a need that then I could fill with other people and create a small business of providing drama services to schools. But it took me to be, and I'm gonna say it, I had to push through this thought of, but I'm just being greedy. I have enough, I'm good. But actually the when I sat with myself, it was, it's not about the money, you know, and of course for a couple of years in small business, you're not really making any more money anyway, you know, in fact, you're, I was earning less. But it was this desire to circulate more. It was this desire to, and to sit actually where I am years later now and have staff that I provide work for and have that joy of being able to think, you know, when 2020 hit, and everything shut down and um, our company had to basically stop doing live classes, my theater company, my business partner and I turned to each other immediately and just said, how do we keep our staff in work? And it was so amazing to, a first of all, I've met a business partner that's got exactly the same ethics that I do, that be in a position where because we had our business heads on and our entrepreneurial heads on, we could pivot the business in a way that we kept people in work during 2020 in a way that they might not have been able to do by themselves if we had just gone, well, tough tits, huh? You know, the pandemic's here and we need to close down. So I think sometimes money blocks, money beliefs, like I'm just being greedy or I shouldn't reach for more or, you know, I've got enough, whatever enough is supposed to mean, can sometimes stop us from expanding into the people that we're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, oh just letting your words land on me. They're beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. And yeah, it's it's so true. Um, first of all, may there be many more incredible business owners like you who um come to oh gosh, 2020 was such uh, a time that would feed into all our primal fears, right? Like survival mm. and, and all the rest of it. But to hold in your mind and hold the vision of keeping your your people, in, your staff employed um, and letting them still have their livelihoods is the kind of world I want to live in, like where there are more businesses like that, you know. And 
Uh, so absolutely, you know, voting with our dollars, spending on on businesses that that have our own values, but uh, as you mentioned earlier, is one of the ways that we can really make elevate support and make those businesses sustainable. Mm. And then, yeah, absolutely, this idea of enoughness is really interesting because if you have been, you know, conditioned around being a people pleaser, uh, quite often your enoughness level is very low anyway um, because you're often concerned that everybody else has enough first. You're not used to um, being with that idea of enoughness for yourself. But also it, it can be limiting and I I play with this paradox of um, enjoying the idea of enoughness and being in enoughness because capitalism teaches us that we need more, 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 more forever and ever and there's no end, right? Um, so I think there is like this beautiful balance between cultivating this idea of enoughness in ourselves as humans um, but also not letting that be a cap to more. And so uh, I'm one of those people that when, when things come into my life, I'm like, Thank you, universe. More of this and better, please. Like, mm-hmm. is my, you know, uh, if I could encapsulate the energy of it in in one sentence, that would be what it is. And it's like gratitude for all the goodness that we have right now. You know, the goodness of having like drinking water running from our taps and being able to switch on the light and you know having electricity and like you know just enoughness at that level, and then enoughness as a human. Um, that I am enough, I am lovable, I am worthy. I, you know, there were so many of us didn't grow up feeling that way. Mm. And so um, creating that within us. But at the same time, being open and feeling expansive when it comes to money and knowing that there, there doesn't need to be a limit in how much we can enjoy. And we can over time, build our capacity to hold more and more. And there's this phenomenon that uh, quite often a lottery winners end up poorer than they were before they won the lotto because Mm -hmm. they suddenly have this huge amount of money come in and they don't know how to handle it. They haven't had experience. They haven't built up to that. And it kind of feeds into all their, you know, um, core beliefs around money and it kind of all disappears. And... So I think there's a lot to be said for building our capacity to hold more and more as as we go and getting used to the next level. When you reach that next level of abundance that you may never have experienced before, just um, lean into grounding practices. I, I, I have clients that go lay on the earth when they get, you know, when they get there just to feel grounded to um, or people that just do lots of uh self-comforting, like wrapping up in warm blankets and drinking hot cups of tea and that kind of thing, just to acclimatise to a new level of abundance so that your nervous system feels soothed and able to hold that capacity of abundance before you then, you know, open up to the next level and the next level. And it's a practice of expansion while cultivating enoughness with where you are. Mm, And again, we're coming into this middle way, right? of understanding this is enough, I have enough, I'm taken care of, I'm safe, but then leaving the door open for more coming. I love that. Now, you touched on it a little bit. Talk to me a bit about 
Why are we scared to receive more? You know, your, your clients are lying on the ground, wrapped up in blankets, drinking cups of tea. They're terrified. Why are we so scared to receive more? I think it's all about our childhood and how we were conditioned around money as children. And, you know, and, and we all have different sensitivities too. So if you identify as um, a highly sensitive person or you're someone that has been told quite often as you were growing up, you're being too sensitive, you're being too sensitive, that's likely an indicator that you're a highly sensitive person. And so those grounding practices quite often um, are more almost necessary for your nervous system to, to ground. But I have this theory that like a temperature gauge in our childhood, we've almost had um, the upper limit of what we're comfortable with financially, like set for us in our mm-hmm. you know, families of origin. And so while you can kind of go above and below that as you get older, discomfort comes from that. And we kind of want to keep returning to this temperature that was set when we were kids. And so if that temperature was quite low, or even if it wasn't low, even if it was a middle income, um, but you're, you know, in your adult life reaching for beyond that, then it can feel really uncomfortable because you're moving away from the familiar. And so this idea of grounding is to make the new level familiar the new, and to raise that that inner thermostat that was that was set as as kids and of course all those blocks that you know we spoke about that you um you can't be spiritual and wealthy you can't um uh, like it requires lots and lots of hard work to make money that's a really pervasive one Mm -hmm. that um, I see a lot of people have there's the idea that I, I have to sacrifice my health to have money or I have to sacrifice my relationships like my friendships and my family in order to get more money there's all these beliefs underneath it that are feeding it and so when you do get to that high level of money it can kind of bring up those fears like oh my gosh like I've I've, you know will I lose friendships will I um, have to work really hard to maintain this will I have to does it what does this mean for my health will I have to sacrifice my health to keep going will I you know, there's all these deep-seated beliefs that get called up in every level that we reach. And I'll be honest, I think those deep-seated beliefs will never disappear. Um, and we all have our individual ones. Like I know that mine, I grew up, uh, my parents emigrated from India uh, around the time I was born to Australia. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up as being a child of immigrants and there was really a very tight hold on money because it was deeply related to uh, survival, mm. security, safety, uh, not spending on anything that wasn't 100% essential. You know, there was that kind of real um, primal fear around money. And even as I got more and more money, I still had that in me. And also this idea of you have to work really, really hard for money. You've got to work mm. um, hard, but the harder you work, the more you have. And so I had all that in the, which is like a recipe for burnout also. Oh, and, and also, I don't know where that belief comes from. I was, when people say, you know, if, if to the, the maths doesn't work on this, you know, because it's, if the harder you work, the more money you'll make, or you have to work really, really, really hard to make money. And then I'm like, wait, but then should refuse collectors and teachers and nurses and carers be 
billionaires like they're the hardest working people on the planet you know and yet most people i know that have got no problem making money and maintaining their health have managed to create this ease of just i'll work as much as i need to work to bring that money in and i actually have a theory that when we overwork to the point of exhaustion and burnout we're trying to work away the guilt yeah right It's like, I'm not supposed to have this money. So now I need to make sure that it looks like, or I can tell myself that I worked so hard to create it when really it just flowed to me. Yes. And I love the way way you used create money because I've swapped out from base of my childhood that I have to earn money or I have to make money. Now I say I create money. which is a very different energy, right? Like it's-, it's a super different energy, isn't it? Yeah. And I hadn't even, thanks for pointing that, I hadn't even realized that I'd swapped out that word, but I have somehow in the last few years, anytime I get to a point where I'm like, ooh, there's something I want to do, or maybe something that was bringing in money over here has slipped away. And I've learned to be natural with that ebb and flow as well as an entrepreneur of, you know, parts of your business will naturally just fall off and die that's what happens you know and when it happens to just say to myself okay how would I like to create now like what can I create that will open flow to bring in some more money but it's it's a very Um, creative act isn't it bringing money to you yeah yes and when even just in saying that I feel a different energy in my body it feels like an expansive energy right whereas when um I say I have to earn money for me and it could be different for, for you and for others that it feels very contracted. Like I can feel my body kind of curling in and uh, my energy kind of going. And really like our brains kind of shut down from possibility when we're in that energy, when we're in that contracted energy, we kind of, our prefrontal cortex goes offline and we go back into the survival, you know, primal instincts that we have mm-hmm. and we can't, uh, be creative in the solutions to you know money maybe drying up in one area we can't think outside the box whereas when we're like oh, how can I create money oh my goodness like the, the world of possibilities opens right up and it feels um like sparkly and creative like how fun to be in that energy and that actually is an indicator of how open we are to the energy of money coming into our lives you know I've, I've got this, um, the, the way I operate now is that I feel like I meet the universe halfway. Like I, mm-hmm. I leave room for the universe. And I think, you know, when you were saying earlier that sometimes when we work really, really hard, sometimes it's to justify the money that we've got so that we don't feel guilt for it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, okay, like universe, you know, quite often in, in conversation with, with whatever, you know, guiding uh, light is above me. But I put the call out to say, like, I would love this in my life. And, you know, I no longer believe in super hard work for it. And so it's kind of like this is my to-do list and, universe, you can take half of it because, um, it, it's such a more expansive way of coming from it and the synchronicities that I've seen happen in my life you know when I quite often I follow ideas that seem illogical 
and irrational, but I'm following my intuition. And I think intuition comes so much more into money than people think. Um, mm. Often we think money is a very left-brained, uh, logical, analytical, rational kind of thing that we have to deal with. And I think that's what shuts a lot of creatives out of it because they think, oh, that's not the way I am. But I actually think there's a lot of intuition and uh, inner guidance that leads us to more if we are in conversation with it. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, I quite often have taken steps that seem illogical on paper, but I followed my intuition and lo and behold, the universe has moved a few things around and it's led to more abundance than I could ever have imagined myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's, uh, yeah, a, when we work really, really hard, we edge out the universe. We don't let it come and meet us. We've got to kind of let a little bit of spaciousness be there so that we can yes. co-create. And I think a great, I love your idea of litmus tests. I think a great litmus test for that as well is like, how do you respond when somebody offers to help you? You know, because if your instant response is, oh, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. It's like, well, <laughs> you've, I love that you've edged out the universe. How is flow going to come to you if you, if you're just forever saying, I've got it, I've got it. You know, this is something actually my husband is an amazing mirror for me and often will say, you know, I'm offering to help you and you're saying no. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know? because a lot of my identity growing up came from being the child who was no problem, was no, didn't cause problems because I got it. I got it. You don't need to explain things to me twice. You don't need to give me directions twice. You don't need to worry about me. I got it. That became my identity, you know. So now when someone says, can I help you with that? Or would you like help? Or just give me a shout if you need anything. I'm like, I will never need anything from you. Because that goes against this created persona that that I feel like on some deep level is keeping me safe. And yet all it's doing is meaning I'm fully responsible. It's all on my shoulders. No one's coming to help me. And that's actually kind of a lonely place to be, isn't it? It really is. And oh my goodness, I've got goosebumps listening to you because that is the identity I had have had as well. It's it's a practice, right? To to step outside of it. And a lot, there's a lot in there of like this idea of independence. Mm. And um, you know, I think we were probably born in that era where it was like you know, women being independent and yeah. strong and, you know, at the forefront of all that, or perhaps our, our mother's generation was. But, um, yeah, I identify with that as well. And so accepting help, like help comes in all forms. Like, as you say, like you don't know, uh, like we think, oh, that's a human offering that help or that's a human offering that help, that's a human. But And, and we all have our own individual beliefs, but uh, to me that's, the universe flowing through that person and you know giving them the impulse to to help me in this way and they might not it, it, we assume that they get no joy from it as well I mm. think it can be an, and a beautiful act of love to receive because it gives so much joy to the giver Tara as someone is on this journey of wanting to create more abundance in their lives and wanting to feel abundant and that there's nothing more abundant than self-love right where do you point them to first like 
what what would you say to somebody you know you're sitting down waiting for a bus together you know or a limo to come and pick you up I don't know <laughs> you know and they're just saying I just really I want to have more abundance in my life where would you advise them to start I would say to revisit in a very compassionate and loving way revisit your childhood and the ideas that you got around money mm. and I guess the quickest way to do that would be if you could sum up in one or two sentences uh, your um, main carer's attitudes towards money. So, you know, that could be your mum and your dad or whatever version you had in your household. Um, If you could summarise that in one or two sentences, that will give you the, the core beliefs that you've been given as a child that have been implanted in you. And then... I would actively try to look for examples of the opposite. So, for example, if you were handed down the belief that you can't be spiritual and wealthy, uh, I would go and look for examples of people who are spiritual and wealthy, whether they're in your personal life or, Yeah, (laughs) Oprah's my favourite example. (laughs) And so it's kind of like looking for evidence to build up this bank of evidence in your brain that maybe that initial core belief you were given is on shaky ground. It's not so true. And I think that's a really beautiful way to start because it just starts kind of breaking down your preconceived ideas around money and opening you up to other ideas around it. I love that. Just gently tugging on those beliefs, gently holding them up to the light and saying, do I need to believe this? Is this belief still serving me? love that start to unravel the programming oh so i this is the shit we do for love podcast so i am going to ask you about some shit that you do for love but it's been so wonderful to unpack this because i do see we do a lot around love and by that also i usually mean we are trying to get validation and worth and love on the outside of ourselves and we do a load of shit in order to get there. And money is a great indicator for me of this shit that we're doing for love, whether that's not letting ourselves receive or putting ourselves at the back of the queue or identifying with whatever's in our bank account or not letting ourselves change an identity that we think is keeping us safe because it feels a bit scary, you know, because we need that validation. So money is such a great, it's a great spiritual tool, I think. It's certainly a great coaching tool to help us understand how we feel about ourselves and how we can just open up to let more love in. And like you said at the top, the weird thing is when we open up to more love, more money comes. It just naturally follows in through the door. It really does. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) So, Tara, tell me about some shit that you do for love that you've drawn a line under or you're going to commit, make a commitment now to draw a line under and no longer have in your life. It doesn't need to be about money. What's some shit that you do for love or used to do for love that you're like, nah, I'm done with that now or let me tell you about what I'm now done with. Oh, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in my current season of life, uh, I did a lot of, um, I transferred the good girlness into good motherness. Oh, juicy. Yes. (laughs) So 
buying into this idea of what a good mother looks like and what she does and how self-sacrificing she is. And, you know, um, that is something that I, I think that's a bit of a constant practice in detaching from that uh, because, you know, that runs deep, like the good girl stuff, but that that is definitely is something that I have drawn the line under uh, and I'm very conscious of now. Uh, and the way that shows up, like, I mean, I can shop in money that I'm prepared to spend whatever it is on my kids, you know, whatever they need or, you know, the latest hobby they've got or whatever they, uh, and there was a point where I felt really uncomfortable spending on myself, investing in myself, um, and that has absolutely shifted, which is fabulous. Oh, Gosh. Mara. Oh, it feels like a beautiful life then, doesn't it? Isn't it? You are such a beautiful soul and a beautiful human being. I'm so grateful for you spending this time and sharing your expertise and your ideas and your deep-seated trust that money is just energetic flow and love that we can play with and don't need to be afraid of. It's been such a joy to be with you, Wendy. I love spending time with you. Oh, let's do it more, please. Thank you so much, Tara. Well, love, how many of these money blocks did you count for yourself? Thinking rich people are mean, believing you have to be poor to be in service or an artist, that you have to work really hard to earn money, or that receiving makes you greedy somehow, or are you paying to save with your money? Make no mistake, what we believe creates the actions that we take in life and the actions we take build our world, including our wealth. To find out more about Tara's work, look for the link in the show notes or go say hi to her on Instagram. There's a link there too. She really is as lovely as she seems. What is your biggest takeaway from this episode? Drop me an email, wendy at wendywindle.com. That's wendy at wendywindle.com. I genuinely love to hear from you because it helps me to shape this podcast with you in mind. I bloody love you.